Welcome to the Querying Museums podcast, a show about what it's like to be LGBTQ in the museum sector. This is the third episode of this first season of the podcast, and it's an episode that's very close to my heart. I work in science communication and engagement, and for six years I was lucky enough to work at Science Gallery Dublin. So for episode three, I spoke to some of my friends and colleagues at Science Gallery International. Over to Andrea. Okay, my name is Andrea Bandelli. I'm the executive director of Science Gallery International. So the broader field is science engagement. So we engage young adults with science and technology and design. Um, specifically, Science Gallery uh, is a network or a movement of places uh, where art and science collide. And this is a worldwide initiative um, in Dublin, London, Melbourne, Venice, and soon in the United States. And these are all uh, places that are affiliated with universities and they create exhibitions, programs, events, opportunities for young people aged 15 to 25 to be engaged with art and science and to think about the future and to create their own future and to be empowered to deal with the challenges of science and technology. I spoke to Andrea about an event that I worked on a few years ago in Science Gallery Dublin during an exhibition called Blood. It was a frank and open discussion about HIV, mainly from an LGBTQ perspective. There are very few science centers that actually talked about HIV. Um, uh, most of them did that in a kind of from a medical point of view. And I think that was the first time that the topic was approached from a social uh, um, point of view in terms of identity, in terms of visibility, in terms of uh, uh, the stigma that is still associated with, with HIV. Um, so it was a groundbreaking event. Also because there were people crying there uh, emotionally, and I think it's always good when you raise and you stimulate emotions to that level. So what is Science Gallery all about? It is really about democracy, it's about citizenship, it's about building indeed identities and meaning in society. And it's much, much bigger than indeed being this kind of complementary initiative to the school system. And I think that's the biggest misconception. We are, all, we are you know, often relegated to, oh, you know, it's good education for, for the kids. No, it is really fundamental uh, tools for everybody and especially for young adults and for adults to be, um, to be stronger and better citizens. I like to think that I bring that, especially to my team um, here at Science Gun International, to be open, to be tolerant, to be also a bit um, provocative, to define the boundaries, you know, in that respectful way that I think LGBTQ people can do because we, we are confronted with, with that every day. I'm very, indeed, very open about being uh, gay, also about being HIV positive, and I think it's a good thing to be visible. Uh, it's a good role model for everybody, and honestly, I never encounter any problem. And um, and I think, you know, it is, many people feel, indeed, that kind of self-stigma and the fear for whatever reason, it can be your identity, it can be uh, related to HIV, it can be related to many other um, issues. Um, being visible makes you stronger and being visible together makes everybody stronger together. I'm Sarah Durkin and I work with Science Gallery International. 
It's a small company and so we all wear multiple hats. And as global operations manager, I look after the finances, the budgeting, kind of the structural things that help everything else happen. So from legal contracts to looking after people, HR function as well. So it's very much in, embedded across everything that we do. I spoke to Sarah about what perspectives LGBTQ people can bring to their work in science centres. I think it's about looking at things from a different perspective. Um, because as, as you're growing up, you're dealing with a dominant narrative in society. And you're set apart from that, no matter, you know, how accepting society is or, you know, how integrated LGBTQT people are now. It's still, you know, you still have a slightly different take on something and you're constantly translating between what's what's dominant um, or what the mainstream um, narrative is and where you are. And I think that kind of perspective of looking at things from different angles, I think that's where it comes out in, in my work. And also identifying with others who are slightly outside that perspective and that kind of, you know, not thinking of people as one thing, but multiple things. There's always more work to be done. Always, always, always. And it's hard to define. And I think the, the museum sector and the cultural sector is very broad. I mean, my background, while in my very early careers, I worked in heritage centres and, you know, archaeological sites. And then I spent over a decade working in the performing arts. Uh, and I've always worked, thankfully, in places that are very inclusive and, and welcoming. And in Science Gallery International, like currently we're a majority gay organisation, actually, and, and majority female. So it's very affirming and it is diverse. And, you know, but we're still conscious there are other aspects of diversity that we, we're not reaching. So you don't just stop. I think there's always scope for more stories from things that are not, again, of, of the mainstream. And I think it can be difficult in, in many of the more traditional ones to find those narratives or present them. And when we talk about what's hidden um, or what's behind the stories or the people behind the stories or the artefacts, uh, and we accept so much truth from museums. Um, I mean, I do think places like Science Gallery are very different because they are about breaking down boundaries. And I think that's why it is a very comfortable place for, for gay people to work um, and be involved and be welcomed in. And I think that's such a radical transformation. As part of my work, I go on these conferences and to, you know, like um, AAM in the States or Excite or Aztec and... I went to Atlanta in 2015 and I think that was a really personally defining moment for, for me of reconnecting with how radical and how personally transformative museums can be. And they have a centre for civil and human rights there and it's quite new, but it was a very, very powerful experience. And of course, it tells the whole story of civil rights. But upstairs is, is about, um, I suppose, current day and contemporary issues of human rights all around the world and civil rights. And there was one piece in it, which is a series of interactive mirrors. So you're hearing a story, like you get to select what, you know, you identify something within yourself and you select that thing on the screen. And of course, I went, I am lesbian. 
And it was this story of of a woman who had grown up in a not a welcoming country, a very difficult country. And, and you know, she told this story about how her mother protected her and kept her safe. And eventually, she had to to leave that country to find a life where she could be productive. And you know, she she's a doctor. Um, and I found that very um, humbling in that. I do live in a country with all its troubles that is very progressive. But that moment made me think, you know what? I hadn't really reconnected with an activist thing. And and I think it was very much at that moment that I decided, like, I'm not doing enough. But where are the opportunities? Like, we have so much. But there's a quote there from Coretta Scott King, who said, um, you know, the struggle is never over. Freedom is never won. You have to win it and earn it in every generation. My name is Katrina Enrance and I work for Science Gallery International. Like many people who work in museums, I do a lot of different things, but primarily my job is to ensure that all staff across the Global Science Gallery network remain connected and that they all have the resources they need to keep learning. I think for me, it's a recognition that there are many ways to live a life. Um, the, The joy of Science Gallery is that it's deeply embedded in our values to question the status quo. So um, I think I recognize the importance of that and I'm always prepared to look at my work from another angle. I've typically worked with art galleries that are embedded in post-secondary institutions, so I've worked with young people a lot and I think, again, recognizing that, you know, they're they're figuring things out, um, they're coming to a lot of these questions for the first time, it's really important to, to bring that to your work in cultural institutions. There is, well, I can talk about science museums and science centers. That's my field. There's a lot of work to do. Uh, LGBTQ issues are invisible in science museums, basically invisible. And uh, many people would say, well, you know, why should they be visible? Well, they should because we we deal with teenagers, we deal with young people. We need to be uh, to provide role models and to be inclusive and to represent indeed the broad spectrum of of society. So um, so far indeed, there are only a few institutions that have dealt with uh, and and with LGBTQ issues and made them visible. I think on the one hand, they are still kind of conservative institutions. There is, however, a f- fear of dealing with sexuality, with the gender. Uh, there is also a very um, kind of stereotyped idea of gender, of really binary gender, you know, boys and girls, and yes, we need more girls in science, which is true, but it's only a really small part of the story. You know, the, uh, gender identity is much broader than, than boys and girls. You know, on the one hand, we say science should be an appealing career, a nice work prospect, but then we don't treat it as a work prospect because, you know, we cannot talk about sexuality. Well, that doesn't make sense. So, um, so in that sense, indeed, science museums have a this particular responsibility, uh, apart from the um, you know the, the history of LGBTQ issues. But even museums that don't deal per se with history, like indeed contemporary science centers, still you know there is a lot of work to be done. So, um, my feeling is that. Art museums and history museums probably do a better job than than science museums and science centers in this respect. I spoke to the Science Gallery International team about LGBTQ role models that inspire them. 
um, Alan Turing, a gay person who uh, um, represented so much for, you know, for, for, for the UK and for the world, actually. Um, but the specific reason why I liked it is because of the exhibition that the Science Museum did about Alan Turing. And I think that's one of the few exceptions of a wonderful exhibition that was developed together with um, LGBTQ uh, groups. In, and also that um, you know, they, they, they put uh, the letters that Alan Turing wrote to his uh, teenage lover on in the exhibition. It was really beautiful to acknowledge that, to see that. And it was also a in a way, a political exhibition, because it was done at the time when uh, there was the movement to get the, the pardon for, um, for Alan Turing, which resulted in the royal pardon. So it was really great to see a museum that, that takes action when it's needed, at the right time, and, and in such a open, transparent, um, and yeah, political way. Even, you know, the, the, the last part of the exhibition was the, the, the death certificate of Alan Turing and the, the hormones that he was forced to take. And, you know, people could, could make their judgment about why he died. Um, so, um, so, yeah, he's a, he's a hero. And, uh, and I think, you know, in this respect, the Science Museum did a wonderful job to bring that uh, to, to, the, to the large public. I have immense respect for uh, a lot of the literary figures who have given us some really beautiful worlds to be lost in. So Christopher Isherwood, Anne-Marie MacDonald, Patricia Highsmith, Michelle T. Um, to see your stories reflected in some small way, I really value the moments they've given to me, and especially when I was young and it was really important to see those worlds. I'm really interested to see the upcoming Queer British Art Exhibition at Tate Britain, um, because thus far a lot of the more interesting exhibitions and artifacts I've seen have been in uh, small-scale institutions housed within organizations like the Gay and Lesbian Archives in Toronto or the Gay Museum in Berlin. Um, but I'm very interested in the strategies that will be employed by a major institution like Tate Britain that has to contend with a far broader audience that may not come equipped with the same background knowledge. But I think in general, uh, I would like to see exhibitions that make room to ask difficult questions and to bring more nuance in discussing the LGBTQ community. Uh, you know, like, what does it mean to identify as LGBTQ and low income or LGBTQ and an asylum seeker? Um, I am deeply worried that the current climate means that we're going to see some watering down of our exhibitions. So I think we need to work harder to make it not just cheery glitter and rainbows, but to ask some really critical questions. Finally, I spoke to the team about why they think LGBT history is important. I, I think for the same reason it's important to continue to discuss the history of any marginalized community. Um, it's critical to remember how difficult things have been and to remember that for many individuals and communities still really are. Uh, so I, I want LGBTQ exhibitions um, that, that you know, walk a fine line. They celebrate and they remain critical. I want the trauma and the bravery and the happiness. Because the identity of LGBTQ people are changing. Uh, the identities, young people now have a very different idea and different interpretation of what it means to be, um, you know, gay, lesbian, or transgender, which is fine. Um, but we, we need to keep talking about the history because it's otherwise we forget the process that 
allow now young people to define new identities. So, um, and, it, and it's once the conversation is shut down, it's very, very difficult to reopen it. So um, it is really our duty to keep talking. I think it's important so you know, you feel connected to what went before and therefore you can connect to what goes in the future because, um, and I think this is where it connects or intersects with feminism as well, in that so much of female history has been, has to be reconnected and refound. And if you don't have that, you're at a disadvantage because you constantly think you are so different and that you don't have the support of what went before. And no matter how great it is, you're, you're still different to how the, the culture perceives you. Um, so yes, history is incredibly important. You know, my, my partner Yvonne O'Reilly set up the Lesbian and Gay Film Festival at a time right before, or like a few years before um, it was decriminalization here in Ireland. And I think that was incredibly brave. And yet we take those cultural rights and that festival or the other cultural things that have come since then, like they're all part of a continuum. So we have to recognize the people who went before and the brave steps that they took because we still have to be brave ourselves, um, no matter how small or how, you know, it does make a difference. The Queering Museums podcast was launched to celebrate LGBT History Month in the UK. You can catch episodes one and two on SoundCloud or on iTunes. And if you hit subscribe, you'll get our fourth and final episode as soon as it's released next week. Thanks to the Queering Museums team, Sasha and Russell, and to Morris for help on production. I've been Sean, and thank you for listening. <laughs>